This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Good morning. Hello. This is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, joined as always by Manchester United legend Paul Parker to talk over. Um, well, the familiar phrase I had last season was to talk over a, d- a difficult week in Manchester United, and it uh, looks like we might be using that phrase quite a lot this week, uh, this season as well, um, if anything is to go by on yesterday's performance. So if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. Feel free to get your questions in if you're watching on YouTube and Facebook as well. If you're watching the replay, feel free to say hello. We do still reply to comments. And if you're listening back on the audio podcast, please be sure to give us a review and subscription on the platform you're listening on. Um, Paul, how are you doing? How I'm good, thank you. Weekend was all, was okay. I had to endure watching football at 4.30 in the afternoon, and it was absolutely cooking at London Stadium. Yeah, it really was. And um, it's quite... When, when you see United play as they do and then you saw City play the way that they did, especially the second goal was incredible um, for Haaland. Uh, you know what you're up against, really. So some comments coming in already before we get on to talk about the game. Um, John says, good morning. Uh, what a mess yesterday. Arguably lucky to lose by only one yet. We're going to get into that. Um Keen, good morning, mate. Um, he says United have agreed for a fee for Rabio. We'll get on to that. We are going to talk about him in a moment. And um, Mike Pierre, he says, Morning, gents. A team that struggled to sixth last season has this summer sought to improve by trimming the squad, getting three in. But why I'm still watching Fred and McTominay struggling in midfield, Glazonomics. Oh, I have got a rant coming up for sure. <laughs> Is empty stadiums the answer already coming in from Simon? Well, we'll talk about that as well, actually. Um and Louis Den Seven, being a United fan for 31 years, this club is dead. No way back. No, I don't agree with that, but we'll we'll talk about it. You know, United are always gonna be there. Um, in whatever guys they are, but they're still there. Uh okay, so yeah, United won Brighton two, Paul. Desperately poor performance. Um Harry Maguire started well, he made some good decisions earlier on, and the, the crowd really said to get seemed to get behind him. Then he, he sort of switched off for a minute and downloaded for, for their first goal. Um, and really, I think the th- thing for me in the first half was that 
it was very clear that they'd set up a, a good tactical plan. First of all, they're good on the ball anyway. They're a very good progressive team. They've outplayed us before, but they seem to have a plan to target Maguire and they seem to have a plan to let McTominay and Fred have as much of the ball as they wanted to. There was one point even where McTominay was allowed the ball 25 yards from goal and he was allowed, they were basically encouraging him to run towards goal and shoot. And he got to the point where he, he, even though he was running with the ball, he ended up in this dangerous tackle where he could have easily been sent off for, um, which, you know, says a lot at the moment. Um, they were able to trust that United's defence would make its own mistakes. Shaw and Dallow at one point, um, Dallow's positioning was so bad that he was in playing as a central striker when we were defending. And, you know, you could see a three-man defence. I was like, Maguire's got 40 yards of space to cover on this side. He's, he's nowhere near. And Dallow was sort of like gesticulating for people to get back. So we, that's your position, mate. I can't. I can't have imagined never seeing Paul Parker <laughs> playing as a striker, trying to tell the defense what to do. Um, yeah. And then my shooting, my shooting ability, no chance. Oh, some of us still remember that blockbuster against Reading. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and there was one point when Martinez made a really good recovery. But it was a worrying error to start off with, and the crowd applauded his recovery, as as you do, you do re- applaud the recoveries. But it's concerning that you're still seeing that. I mean, it was his debut, so not else about the three around him. But when a team as good as Brighton can have a tactical plan to basically, well, it's not even Brighton. Any opponent in the league could devise a tactical plan to create two easy chances to target two players in your team. That makes those two players, or two or three players, a matter of emergency, which you have to take those players out, right? I mean, what what did you see of yesterday? What did you make of it? Um, how bad was it? I mean, in the ground, it was bad, but how bad was it um, watching it from where you were? Well, I was watching it in the, um, the press lounge at London Stadium, and I was in, I mean, it's, there's quite a few tellies around, so you got you can virtually just, it's like panoramic in the end, you can do that. And, but I was hoping that everyone could actually get around me, so I didn't have to look at a screen. There were too many screens, I couldn't avoid watching it. But when you talk about there about Brighton made their minds up and they, they, they put in their mindset to allow you know two players to have the ball, that doesn't happen to Man City, that doesn't happen to Liverpool, that wouldn't even happen to Spurs now, you know, just to name but three, even Chelsea to a point, even though Chelsea, I'm not sure which way they're going to be this season. But that's the way United are. Brighton... We're a better team the last time they come to Old Trafford, as we talked about last week. The sending off changed changed the complexion of the game, and United won the game. But it was one of those ones they were flat, the scoreline seriously, seriously flattened and flattered them. But for what I see, it was as soon as I saw the team, and I was in there, and to be honest, everyone's in the lounge, and and you, there was like a kind of it was that moment. And it, for me, it lasted for ages, but it wasn't. It was a split second and everyone went, you could feel everyone go, oh. Because I think everyone just saw the team and everyone went, sit down, really? Or it might have been me just saying it. I just thought to myself, no. They've just put up, they put up, a, a, um, when they played each other last season, they're just showing the team that played. I thought, that can't be the team that's starting today. And I really, I was shocked, seriously shocked. Luke Shaw starting, you know, the two in midfield. And I just... And I looked at, you know, when I see, again, Marcus Rashford, and I kind of go, can it be? And no, it isn't going to happen, Marcus Rashford. I, I really, you know, there's still at the end of the day, they're, 
just just trying to pad it out still and hoping that it can come to life. And if it does, if he does come to life, but you're still not going to get any consistency. Sancho, okay, but all of a sudden you're suddenly realizing that you, if you are going to move him on, you're not going to get. You're not. If you're lucky, if you're going to get fifty percent of what you paid for him, because totally, yeah. totally overpriced. Um, so. It was it was much the same way, and so if we really we could actually stop it now, and we can go back in the archives, and we me and you can sit here, bring something back from the past, and just pull it on there, and people will go, yeah, yeah, not knowing it's something from twelve months ago, because it was exactly the exactly the same way. Yeah, how much did you put on the manager? I mean, obviously he's he's picked his side. Um, I, I find myself conflicted with this because I'm definitely not going to get on his back. You know, like I wouldn't do that anyway, but. <clears throat> You know, like you'd have to have a much longer sample size, but it's frustrating when you as a fan, or like me as a fan, you as a former player, you've seen a bunch of these players selected, and you know that they're, you know that really they're not of the standards required, and and you sort of give it a chance because first of all, it's a new manager, and then you say, well, maybe maybe he could improve them with coaching. You know, one of the major criticisms of the of Solskjaer and Ragnik really. Solskjaer, they talked about his inexperience as a manager, that he couldn't command um, the kind of respect for those players. And then you've got Ragnick, who wasn't really a coach for a long time. He was a technical director, so two two people who weren't coaches. So you think, all right, Tenog is coaching. He might be able to improve the players. And then you see what, what happened yesterday. I mean, is it a thing like, you know, like giving those players enough rope you know what I mean? To use a really crass term, but you know, in terms of knowing where their careers are going at United and knowing that they're not really going to be in a team that challenges for the league, does do we forgive the manager for saying, "All right, he's given them that chance and he's seen it for himself," or do you think that he should have already known? You know, because we've been saying this for two or three years that he should have been aware of some of these players just not being of the required standard. Yeah, he should have. He, I think he knows it. He knows it already. Definitely must know it. Otherwise, he's you know he's he's been he's had a bucket over his head. Yeah. You know, there's, it's, it's absolutely impossible not to know. Rennick come out and said the club virtually said it needs a clear out. He said that. I think he said that talking about ten players. He said it needs a clear out. There hasn't been any clear. Uh, there hasn't been a clear out. The same players are still there. There was talk of. By going here and things going on. Problem is, they've been all overindulged. To be yeah. honest, with at Manchester United, they've been pampered, and there's nothing wrong with being pampered. I went and I couldn't believe how it was, but you still knew that you had to work hard for it to actually to have that comfortable lifestyle. At Manchester you still had to work hard for it. You couldn't like this this lot now and not having to do that. You're all sitting on big big wages. No one else can take them on. They can't afford the wages. Our Manchester United say to when clubs come in that we're willing to serve as part of the wages for you to take him to try and help the new manager coming in so he can, if it needs three of them to go out and maybe United saying it'll take on 20 to 40 percent of their wages just to get them out to give the manager a budget to maybe just to get that one player in, it's got, it's got to be worth it. So there's something wrong on that side of it to get players out, there's definitely something wrong. In getting players in. I mean, if United were going to go and sign a player from the Manchester Sunday League, I'm sure it will still take them six months to do it. They still couldn't do it, and there'd be no fee. 
all the bloke with most used to say, all I want is um, four pints every Sunday afternoon down a dog and duck. But it's just, I can't understand how it takes so long for them to do it. If they really want De Jong, and now we've got the newspapers now, everyone, the media, trying to throw Chelsea in the mix now and trying to make it, like, make even look at, make embarrass Manchester United even more. But, bring, but the, you know, people are coming out and saying, oh, he wants to go and play for Chelsea. If he wanted to play for Chelsea, this, the talks wouldn't be going on. United would be, it'd be dead. Yeah. So, obviously, the manager, they know each other. He's mostly growing up under him as him as a coach. They know, you know, he's played for him. So the manager is not going to keep on and on with something, knowing that oh, he, he's interested in going to another team. I, I do believe the lad wants to come and play, but he's got his own personal issues going on with with um, Barcelona. So it's just embarrassing that you know the way things have turned off the pitch. You know, I was hoping that was going to change, but it's still the same scenario. I think that the manager just got to be careful now. Is that when we're going we could end up in a Three, four months down the line, we're going over the same stuff, but with a different person at the helm. Because I still don't believe that the players we're talking about, the same ones who have been there now, maybe under their fifth different manager, are going to be any different. Mm. Short term, they'll have that little bit with the nice weather and that, that, you know, and the pitches and all going on. But they'll get back into their old ways because while they're at Manchester United, the only way they're going to change as players, positive or negative, if they move, they move on to test themselves and move on to test themselves to go and really learn about life and go to another football club and understand that you have to work a little bit harder. You, yeah. you know, you, you, you can't take it for granted anymore. You know, yeah. you just, they just can't, they cannot allow someone like Ten Hag to come in and be embarrassed, be yeah. embarrassed by what he's had to work with. Cause at the moment I was hoping it was going to be different. He took a long time to sign his contract. They're so saying he he needed he wanted this he wanted that and he's not gonna he's not gonna sign unless he gets that. So we all assumed Wayne that he'd got what he's what he wanted, yeah. and we're led yeah. down that road. A few little signings and he thinks of okay, but he hasn't built in it. Ericsson is a is a good player, great signing, even better because he costs nothing. You've got experience, you've got an incredible creator, but he still needs other tools around him. And then when you put him in a midfield and you you give him Scott McTominay and Fred, you're kind of saying, you know, you know, he's gone in there looking to work with a proper toolkit, and all you've done really is you're giving him a knife and fork to go to try and dig a hole. It's absolutely madness how he thinks he's Ericsson is going to link link with them. I've got more with I've got more time with Fred because I think if you put good players around Fred, you will get someone who will make a difference. Because he'll yeah. get around, he's a grafter, and he's played in big, big European games. He's played for his country, Brazil. He's he's done that. But at the end of the day, you're only you're only sometimes as good as what around you. If you haven't got Fred's got the right players around him, he's a good player. And I've said yeah. it for ages, and a lot of people shouted me down. I keep seeing that people keep talking about Scott McTominay and oh, he should be the captain because of what he does. We've seen what he does, and I saw that challenge. And honestly, the noise and that when everyone went, oh, yeah. you know, it was it was an awful challenge. His challenges are something back from the seventies and eighties, and the, the challenges. There's, there's no that now. You you should know now. You can't challenge that. As much as you made a mistake, you cannot cover it up by throwing yourself in and trying to be a brave heart. And people saying that oh, you love United, you work hard because there's more to work. There's more to working hard playing for yeah. Manchester United. Because you're, but that's your job anyway. Every every fan who goes and watches a game of football 
would expect of all those players that the, the last thing they, w- they would not expect from them is not to work hard. It should be there. It should, it's in black and white that without, without even being written down on a bit of paper. As a professional sports person, you work hard. And everything after that is a plus. But yeah. And that doesn't make you, that shouldn't say, oh, you should have the captain's armband. At the end of the day, Manchester United are not going forward until such time they stop looking to buy overage players and they're playing with Scott McTominay in midfield. Yeah, we'll, we'll get on to all that. Um, a load of comments coming in from you guys. Thanks so much. And keep keep them coming so we'll get to as many as we can. Um, Simon says, was there any chance yesterday it was by design with Tino basically choosing the team and saying that this is what I've got to work with? I, I don't know about that, Simon. Um, I think he still picked what he thought was the best side, even though I question the wisdom of playing Ericsson at false nine. We didn't have anything up front until the second half. Whether or not you think Ronaldo's the answer. Um, Richard says, why were we doing this yesterday? The poor play, that we didn't look anywhere near this bad during pre-season. No, but it's what we were talking about last week. We all remember um, Van Gaal's pre-season where it looked great. And, uh, thing. Andy um, says, it used to be isolated players who couldn't handle the size of the shirt. Now it's the majority of the players is mentally so weak. And uh, Louise Dunn squad was better than it is Squad is better now than it was when Mourinho was manager. He's gone backwards. Well, I, regardless, you can, you can argue the top of that. But I did want to come on to something. Something that you talked about before, and it's already been mentioned in, in the comments about the lockdown. You know, and obviously, you, one thing that you can say is United finished second. That was a fight. You can argue the merits of that place um, due to... Um, Chelsea and Liverpool and their various problems at the time, but we're talking about league season. They did still finish second. A lot of that was obviously in lockdown. You know, they were playing in lockdown. I'm just wondering, you know, you can take Solskjaer out of this. I, I actually think that if you've got a team and you, you finish second and there's no crowds there, that's probably more to do with the value of an effective coaching strategy. But once you put the crowd in there, it's the temperament of the players and their ability to handle that. So, and I, I'm not like saying Solskjaer was a brilliant coach or anything, but what I'm saying is when you've seen the underperformance, that suggested it's on the player's temperament and their inability to handle playing for the club. Is that fair or do you think I'm being a little bit harsh? No, I, I get where you're coming from, Matt. You know, you, you look at certain players and, and the one I look at more than anything is um, Fernandez. Now, Fernandez during that time was absolutely incredible what he'd done. And it was, he, was, he was scoring goals, he was making goals. <clears throat> and we could say lockdown, there's quite a few penalties. But still, he was scoring goals and, you know, and his passing, his range of passing was, you know, was showing then in that. But it was a different mindset playing, you know, and certain things struggled. Liverpool struggled. Liverpool struggled at home. And he really struggled. He's saying Chelsea struggled. United got that great run going of playing away from home. Um, that's something that should be put to bed, that record, and not talked about. Because the problem was that most teams struggled to play at home. Because the team that trailed coming away, would just there was nothing there. They could just play as virtually like just playing somewhere. And it was it was foreign in a certain... It was foreign, but it was just... when there was nothing to intimidate them. So... That doesn't, for me, you, you know, that, that season is always going to have something, an asterisk said, just to, to, to say it wasn't complete. 
And just to go back to Fernandes, we're seeing a different Fernandes now to the one who played at that time. His levels of performances have been nowhere near that. There's been the odd game, but then there was consistency in his performances, and that's been a million miles away since. Yeah, yeah. I've got a comment in there. Now he does... All he does is roll around and moan, which, I mean, that is generally the, the criticism that he's aimed at. And we did have some questions that were sent to us by Ben before we came on air, and I thought they were really good questions to bring up. So he said, given how bad this group have been, isn't it necessary to break them up and not them have, have them play together as a collective, even if it means putting in a younger player or two? So I guess that means in the critical areas that you maybe put a player like Garnacho on the wing, or you put Garner in midfield, or you put Laird at right back. I mean, we had this conversation so many times about putting a young player into a poor team, but and you still possibly think that it wouldn't be wise to do that with a group of them. But when we saw Annabelle come on at Anfield, and then you've seen the impact that some of these kids have, you almost think that there's nothing left to lose, in, you know, and those players could really, um, trans- well, they could transform a lot of things. Um, and, and- it's a good time. It's a good time to do it now, Wayne. I mean, I yeah. said it before because it was midway, and it was, it was, you didn't really. I mean, it was like virtually that. It was like kind of, would you let? It's like virtually saying, would you let your kid go out? After, would you let your nine-year-old go out after eleven o'clock at night? Yeah, and that's what it was would it be like to put a kid into that team because it was ugly yeah. and, and it could have affected them for a long long time there was no one within that who was going to help help them through it now you talk about Laird at right back I think that makes sense Dello does what he does and it's adequate but it's nowhere, nowhere near enough nowhere near enough and that's the position where you think yourself could it could it be made stronger by getting putting Laird and I think myself it definitely isn't going to weaken it yeah. It will definitely improve it. You might talk about, oh, but he doesn't get forward and doesn't do that. Sorry. You've gone in there. And it, I'm going to call it number two rather than the silly numbers that people wear now. I'm going to say, if you defend and opportunities are lessened by you being there on that side of the park, you've done a good job. You've done a great job. You just talked about Dello in a centre-forward position. And it was what? And the last thing I, you'd want is with is Harry Maguire with, with 40, you know, 40 foot of space around him. You, just, you yeah. just wouldn't want it in a million years. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, when I played, I had Brucey next to me, and my job was to make sure that anything went over an angle over Brucey's head. I'm, I'm there to do the chasing, to close down. I'm the one trying trying to do everything. And at the worst, if they were to cross it, Steve Bruce would be in the box ahead of it rather than Steve Bruce being on the touchline with, with someone trying to beat him out wide because I would expect a rollicking for not doing yeah. my job. And that's the thing, that area was mine. No different to Gary Neville. Gary was the same. Gary saw that anything that come from that side of the park and it led to a goal, you would take it personally because you haven't done your job. You wouldn't be looking to blame people in the middle for not doing this and not doing that. It started from you, from you leaving an area open. And I just think the young lad deserves the opportunity because I think even he would be watching it. Friends around him, his family were saying, you're better than him, you're better than him, you can do that. And, that, and, that's, and that's the way it is in any position. That's, we're all like that. We're all human. We want our friends to do, you want them to do well. You want your fam, anyone in your family to do well. You want, if you've got a chance, a chance you, you want them in a Manchester United shirt playing regularly in the first team. 
Yeah, no, I, I think that, and we're at that edge now um, to make those decisions, and it's going to be interesting to see how, how Tenar deals with that this early into into his tenure, really, because there are some massive decisions to be made, and really a lot of those centre around what the club like within the transfer market. We've obviously got three players in. Um, there's been a likely reaction to the, the defeat yesterday. A couple of left field names have been mentioned in, in transfer dispatches. The first was Marko Arnautovic, um, which um, I don't know how serious that is, but it, the, all the reports were that United actually did put in a £9 million offer and it was rejected. This is a player who spent some time in China, is being known to make um, racist comments in the past, um, and being in trouble for that. And the only thing is, he's known by Tenog and McLaren, because I think they all work together at FC20. Um, but that that was rejected. He's currently playing in Italy. Um, where he's not... I mean, he, he obviously did good things when he was at West Ham, but he's a long way from that player. He's a long way past his peak. Um, <coughs> that is... On Altovic, I mean, and I'll get onto this in a moment, because I'm going to rant my head off about this, but this is exactly the problem if you leave something to this late in the window because we've given a lot of time to giving the benefit of the doubt of a new regime in place. But if you're making the same old mistakes, I mean, where do you stand on the Anatovich transfer? Because a lot of people would say, oh, it's a sensible option, it's a short-term kind of thing. I look at it and think that it's just a massive red flag and it says the club have learned nothing. They're going to make the same mistake. Well, it's a bit like the Agarlo one. A bit like that. You bring him in, he hardly played a game. I felt sorry for him in the end. Um, um, Ibrahimovic, I still think that one was the start of it, really, because showed where the club was by bringing someone of that age. I don't care what he'd done before. The great Manchester United size, you know, just just wouldn't go out and do that for a player. And then when you talk about Anatovic now, and you're paying, talking about saying, well, they're saying they turned down nine million, maybe near to nine million, whatever, you say to yourself, you look at his age, you think yourself, where's the return on that money? Yeah. There's, no, there's nothing there. The moment you get him, that's it. You're, you're never going to, no one's going to pay money for him. So again, that, that seems like, it seems like a panic. I saw him play here, David Moyes got incre- incredible how David Moyes must have got his arm around him, told him how good he was, made him captain. The man was absolutely amazing. Yeah. In, that, in that period, in that time, from the sulking one who had big who had big problems under the previous manager, he brings him out, brings him out, dust him down, and he was absolutely incredible. Working with the ball and without the ball, and then he made that big massive decision. He wanted to win things, so he went to China. So maybe he just wanted to go there and help make stuff, you know, like boxes and things like that. I don't know. But um, he decided to do that, and that straight away kills everything what people think about you as a player when you go, when you go and do that, when you could have played, still kept playing in the top division. <clears throat> as we know, it's all about coin. So, again, if that does happen, if it does follow through, then me and you are going to be maybe going through a repertoire of what we've done for a few seasons already, Wayne. It just yeah. says a lot. It doesn't matter how well he, come, he does and comes in. We're talking about the Ronaldo situation was happening there, which I still think that that should be put to bed and that should be done. And he's, he shouldn't be at the club anymore because all it does, it allows cameras just to keep looking at him all the time while he's off the pitch. They need to step away from that. But you don't go and bring someone in in no, not a great bit of difference. There's a different work ethic, a different style of playing. 
someone who was always going to look to run in behind. But it's not the step. It's not the not the step forward that Manchester United, not the area they should be going in now after what they've gone to get in this coach and everything they've done with their change off the pitch within the within the you know the the scouting situation just to be doing the same things again. Yeah. Yeah, the other the other name that's been mentioned is Adrian Rabiot. Um, he's twenty seven. He does seem to excel in the areas. Apparently, a fee has been agreed for him as well uh, with Juventus. And the, you know, this is a player who's been linked with United before. His, his agent is his mother. And apparently, when Van Gaal when Van Gaal was in charge, they wanted United to put in a bid for him. Rumours about that, so it does go back a long way. Um, he, he's got a history again. Of a bit of a reported lack of professionalism, I think after, after we beat Paris, he was pitching in a nightclub or something after after the game. Um, but he does seem to excel in all the areas where McTominay and Fred don't. You know, he's really good on the ball. He's dangerous outside the box on the ball. You wouldn't. He's not the kind of player you want to give space to. He's positionally very astute. He doesn't go hiding. He's very good at intercept, intercepting and carrying the ball, and he's a lot better at tackling than. McTominay, but maybe not Fred. Fred can get in there. But he does seem to have, like, you know, I'm not saying he's a massive upgrade, but he's definitely an upgrade on, on those players. You know, you bring him in and the problem is, you know, it has to be with De Jong instead of, of him. In, in, no, not instead of him, I should say. And the other um, concerning thing is that Rabiot's been available. Like Cavani was for all all the summer, he's been available. He's been there to get. It shouldn't be necessary to be leaving it until August, until the weeks before the deadline. But that said, I I actually like him as a player. I think he's pretty a pretty good player. And if he's always had a, a drive to come to United, then that should hopefully um allay some of those fears about his lack of professionalism. The other point is that if he does have this lack of professionalism and his conduct is questionable, then do you really want him another player like that to add to the, the squad that we've got? It's, it's a catch-22 with him. Uh, where do you stand? He's obviously got a lot of quality, and more quality than what we've got in, in the two that are currently starting. Well, I remember him bursting on the scene and you thought, wow, what a player. What a really, really good player. I mean, he's had that, and then since that time of him bursting on and everything good being said about him, there's been a lot of negatives about him, hasn't there? Where, where everyone, papers haven't been saying the right things. Everyone's questioned his, um, his discipline, his yeah. attitude. But that can all change if you work for the right person, the right manager. Um, to, name, to name only one player, and there's only one player you can talk about, you look at Eric. You look at Eric's problem. Now, if everyone, if you, if Sir Alex had been talking about Eric or all the time, or the press had been writing about Eric all the time, I'm sure United fans are saying, "Don't want him here. Don't need someone like him," because yeah. it happened so quickly and so quietly. He comes in, all of a sudden, the, the, everything about him comes out. The reputation, showing all the pictures of him, his little flare-ups, playing playing in, in his own home French league. That didn't make a difference because as soon as people saw him play, yeah. he goes to bed. But that's the thing: how is he managed? How does how do you manage it? There is a maverick in him. There is something wrong with him in that sense. He does. You have to really watch him. You can't just suddenly start, you know, following him home and tucking him up in bed and standing outside his front door and make sure he doesn't go out. 
you have to trust him in a way and you have to allow him that little bit of slackness. You know it's going to happen. Eric had a bit of slackness, which, which we was never allowed. We wouldn't yeah. have done it. But Eric had that, that little bit because of the way he was as a person. You can't manage everybody the same. Yeah. It's impossible to do that. It was impossible. And Sir Alex managed... Yes, collectively, there was situations where you, you know... You knew where you where you stood, where you had to stand on things, but we all knew that Eric had his had that little bit more where he could stretch his legs a little bit more than what we could. But you accept that because there's always a talent there, and and he's a talent, absolute yeah. talent is. They can get him. Yeah, uh, the football brewery um, makes a comment. The first half of the window was spent talking about background checks and right players, exactly, and the second half is spent on panic buyers and whatever an outer which is. Is meant to be, yeah, exactly. That's what we've all been talked about. This like changing direction, and that brings me on to my little rant. Um, there is, and that's one massive consideration to take into um, into account is this complete transformation that we've all been led to believe is happening, and including the revision of scouting and how everyone's going to, all these players are going to be recruited and brought to the club and that they're going to bring in the right characters. And that goes right through the club as well, the way that, you know, um, Manchester United is treated as an institution and all that, and the, the right people are in the right place to protect the name instead of dragging it through the mud, as has been the case for eight or nine years. But there is a very straightforward truth. I mean, yesterday, before the game, there was another Glazers out protest, and I've definitely had my rants on the past in the past on this podcast. But I wanted to try and explain something in a different way today. Now there is a straightforward truth when it comes to United's recent history, and that is that Van Gaal, Mourinho, and Solskjaer, they all need, they all achieved initial objectives of what was laid out for them to be established as a Champions League club, and when they got there. None of those managers were backed to get the players that they targeted. And we don't know how many players that was, but we know the identity of at least one or two of them for each manager as examples. So we know that they weren't backed in the right way. And then subsequently, things imploded and those managerial reigns ended soon after. And then bizarrely, the next manager was always given a lot of money to spend and bring in their own targets and take the club in a completely new and different direction. So the club, Ed Woodward and the Glazers, they've always put the manager in the responsibility spotlight. They've always given him the position of taking accountability when it hasn't been his fault. There's a trend there that everyone can see. Those managers have always achieved the objective, the minimum, which was to get back into the Champions League. They weren't weren't backed in the way that they wanted to be backed moving forward. Now, I know that there are new people steering the ship, but I've been the what I've been one to go on record and sort of say, you know, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and we'll we'll see how it goes. But this is now a very critical moment in their own stewardship of the club. You know, they are going to have to back the manager to get Frankie De Jong at this point. They're gonna to have to back him to get another midfielder, possibly Rabio, another fullback if Laird's not gonna play, and another striker. And if they're not gonna do that because they can't afford to do that, then that needs to be said as well, because they need to be transparent with the support at this point. Richard Arnold said in that meeting that he had with the supporters earlier in the in the summer that the money is there. It was such a vague comment, you know, the money's there for the manager. Nobody wants the club to be like Barcelona. They don't want them to end up like, you know, destitute and facing extinction. You can't manage uh, magic money out of thin air. 
but the ownership have taken £2 billion out of the club. A lot of that has been wasted. And from the summer of 2014, when Van Gaal lost 2,000 games worth of top-level experience from Ferdinand, Vidic, Everett and Giggs went, they replaced that with Di Maria and Falcao, who had no experience in the Premier League whatsoever. And the club have been playing catch-up ever since, never once thinking about the composition of the squad, never once allowing a manager a proper amount of time and control to oversee a transition to have complete control of the direction of the club. So what is absolutely paramount and critical to the club now progressing is to not waste any of the precious money that they do have. Like you said earlier, Paul, £9 million on Arnautovic. It's exactly the profile of the dirge that has led us down this mess. It'd be a late transfer window signing, not better than anything that we've got. And a youth blocker, not to mention questions about his character and how that ties into this new narrative of their own background checks and we want the right people to be playing for the club. So you basically, you're forced into a situation. If you're not going to back the manager, you've got to give the kids a chance before going down that route again. And at least in the period of time when we saw that in the post-Ferguson <coughs> era, which was under Van Gaal when he brought in Rashford, Fosu Mensah, Bothwick Jackson, all those kids, at least we won the cup. He was even able to get Champions League football playing Paddy McNair and Tyler Blackett in defence for long periods of time. That's because the younger players, they're more responsive to a good leadership and they're more, there's probably a lot more to be gained in the unpredictability of putting those players in than there is with persevering what we know fails every single time. I personally think the owners need to sell up and allow someone who cares about the club to take it forward. Because if it was allowed to stand on its own two feet, free of debt, there's no question that Manchester United will thrive again and they'll be competitive again. There are certain things that the club likes to put a PR spin on. One is that the debt and the interest doesn't exist. And the second is that it doesn't hurt the team. It's a barefaced lie and it needs to be addressed by the club directly because it's disrespectful to everyone who goes every week. Now I can sit here and say it's good to back the manager in his decisions. I can even excuse Richard Arnold and John Merton and say it's their first window. That's what I've been saying all summer. And we can also say that we'll take a fair look at it in September once it's over and done with. But you can't boast about United's economic prowess on all the things that they can do in terms of boosting revenue and all that. And then look at what Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs, City, even Leeds have done this summer in spending more money than us and not actually face the truth. You can't talk about the club's profile and just exploit it. So I can understand and fully support fans protesting but it's not even really a matter of anger or protesting it's about the people who are responsible being in a position to do the right thing to the lifeblood of the club which is the support a lot of us acknowledge that the glazers are like rot they are decaying the club from the inside and they're not going anywhere until they choose to do that we know that and we back the manager and we even back the players in spite of that but they can't keep putting this on the managers. They can't keep putting a manager in a thankless position like they are doing. If they're not going to go and they're not going to back him, then they have to come out and say, look, we can't support this manager in the way that is necessary to get the club competing in the next couple of years. And the reason why we can't is that the debt and interest that we've brought to the club is so restrictive that it ties the hand of the new manager. I think that they thought bringing in an elite coach would compensate for a, a wide array of ills that are in this squad that, squad that he would improve them. But just as we saw in 2014 with that preseason, it doesn't work like that. So everything that we're seeing 
on the pitch is a product of mismanagement above the manager. It's not a, a product of what you've seen the managers do. They've all been given their own mandate to go a certain amount of way down the line with their own plan before that was stopped and then they ripped it up and started again. They've got to be straightforward with the fans about it. They've got to be honest about it and say, look, you've got to, we've got to acknowledge our role in this because we're the major culprits. So you're going to have to give the manager time. And, you know, I'm not saying excuse no money, but at this point in time, we would be so infuriated to see someone like Arnautovic come in when you've got Charlie McNeil. I know he's very raw and that he's not had any first-team experiences, but you, you're you blocking his path into the first team anyway. You'd at least want him to be given a chance to make that big step up. I don't know, Paul. It's just, I can't believe that they're putting us in this situation, especially when playing this part in all summer. You know, um, coming out saying that there's funds there, that the manager's going to be backed, and then doing this. I back the way that they've actually gone about the De Jong um, situation in terms of they haven't overpaid. A lot of it is Barcelona's problem. They did agree a fee. But now they've put themselves into a position where they're going to have to really push forward and complete the transfer as soon as possible. And they're going to have to do that on a couple of other names. If not, no one is there's going to be increasing anger, anger and annoyance at some of these players that are playing in the first team currently. And, uh, you know, I, I happen to believe we've sat and watched them for three years. We've talked about it many times, Paul, showed a lot of patience showed a lot of patience to go like, do you know what? It's not the player's fault. How many times have we come round on players and said, we've gone, oh, they should be out of the team. And then after a certain amount of time, you go, do you know what? It's, it's not fair to criticise them anymore. And you end up rooting for them like Lindelof. It was clear that the expiry date on him as the United player was about two and a half years ago. And yet we came around to him last season saying at least he was the best player in the, the in the defence last season, and he's the same with Martial. It was very clear, maybe three years ago, we weren't going to progress with him as a centre-forward. And now we're like, well, I wish he was back because because he's better than what we've got. It's ludicrous that they put us in this situation where... I mean, and, and the thing is, there's not much of a, a really strong argument for United fans when you're discussing this with other with even a general football fan, because they just look at the one billion wasted on transfers, which they're entitled to do. There's a massive economic structure, structural problem with United, and the owners need to really be honest with fans now. I mean, like Richard Arnold was earlier in the summer, he was he seemed to be very straightforward and straight um, shooting with what he was saying. But they need to be that way now because it is letting letting the manager down. Um, Anyway, off my soapbox. Let's talk about Brentford, Paul. Um, difficult second season, you would project, for them in the Premier League. Um, but they got off to a great start at the weekend. You know, great result at Leicester. A great result even in coming back from 2-0 down to get a result as well. They spent a bit of decent money, probably around 35, 40 million. Got Ben Meehan, a really good, um, smart free transfer to strengthen the defence. Um what do you make of that? It's going to be... Um, I don't know if it's even a good game for United to have at this point. I'm looking at... I, I'm, 
don't want to be all doom and gloom, but you've got Liverpool and Arsenal coming towards Trafford in a few weeks. And I'm thinking we, we could start the season with three home defeats, the way that we're looking, looking at Brentford. But the point is that no place is a good place for United to go at the minute, is it? No, no not not anymore. And Brentford, I think they're signed. I think they've signed the um, Danish international day, haven't they? From, is it from Juve, is it? Mikel, somebody? Um, Grace, Grace uh, Damsgaard, or Damsgaard, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they've signed. I think I, I think I saw that earlier, but you know that one's. I think it's medical, or whatever. But and again, it's another forward-thinking move by Brentford. That Danish connection have got them, and as we know, the, Denmark are one of the top sides in Europe now. Yeah. It, you know, as an international side, they're one of the top top nations now. So they've got stronger. He's bringing in those players. They were fortunate enough to get Ericsson for that time. They go in, they're going there as well, where they should have been beaten, Manchester United, last season at Brentford. Brentford, yeah. you know, dominated them. And it's just naivety cost him in the end. He wasn't happy to remember the manager. Said a few things that I think he might have regretted about yeah. it. We all, we all knew it. We didn't need him to kind of tell you again exactly how that game went. So for them to come away with at least a point for me is a bonus, given how they were last season, Manchester United, given how they were at the weekend as well. They, they just going into a, a minefield going to that. And then to follow that up, you know, Liverpool at home. So for me, it's so, so important for United to to bring in to bring in something to lift. There's, there can't be anything better than, I think you're sitting there as a player and, and someone walks in and you go, wow, as when you see that. I still talk about when we won the league and all of a sudden during the summer, you know, you sign Roy Keane after yeah. winning the league. You know, just that, just that makes such a difference to the players. Now, you think if De Jong was to come and they were to make another signing as well, a positive one in an area where it was needed, how much difference would that make between now and next weekend to the fans? What a lift that would be for them, you know, just, just to see that. Yeah. You know, it would make such a difference all round. It was just like a, just, I don't know, it, that's, that's that's my way of saying put a smile back on because it was like that football before the start of every season you play your foot you couldn't you couldn't wait as a player to play your first home game it was just one of the things your ego everything was just on a high because you just want to get out there and grab the adulation show yeah. off a little bit you, you players would be so disappointed if they weren't playing it was, they would see the season being a nightmare because they weren't in that first game on a sunny day in August playing at home um and you go out there and all of a sudden the fans are waiting to see the new signings. doesn't matter what season you had before. You could have been absolutely useless. You could have been relegated. You might have won a league. You might have won an FA Cup or even done well in Europe. But whatever happens, that is the start, it's the start of a, a new thing, a new day, a new start from the previous season. And you've got one or two new signings on the pitch and the fans are they're buzzing. They're going to they're gonna see you get better from what you were your previous season. That hasn't yeah. happened. Hasn't happened at Manchester United. They're, everything was flat from that. I was flat when I saw that team. Saw, yeah. saw, saw, saw you know, Ericsson playing, and I thought, you know, I, I like the centre half, Martinez. I like, really, really like him. Really positive in what he does. You saw a few rash things, but you say to yourself, well, he is Argentinian, and Argentinian not being rash is not Argentinian in my way when you see the football, but he's, he's a proper, really good left sided player. But then when you see the player left of him, you kind of think to yourself, it's got to be, you know, you need something a bit more. And, you know, he was all right, but people 
now I've had enough of it and they want to change. They need a change, but they need a positive change. And they need the you, club. Go on, sorry. In in what you're going to see against Brentford, do you want to see him make wholesale changes, like five or six changes from the team that played against Brighton? Normally, I think you know the answer to this. I would say no, because that would worry me. But I'm looking at where it is now. Where the t- After that performance at the weekend, I'm saying 100% yes. Because mm. if he puts that team out at Brentford, I've got a very good idea where that's going, that game. I'm working the game. I'm doing the game as well. And I really don't want to see that because I don't want to be negative about Manchester United. But if I see that same team starting, I'll go, oh, no, against Brentford, where their players are going to be on a massive high after their weekend performance. And they've got another new signing coming as well before that game. I don't want to do it. I think it's a good time to go and do it because there's going to be a better form of energy out on that pitch if he goes and does that. If he brings in the players you mentioned earlier coming in, just that energy and just the drive to go and prove a point, it'll make a massive difference. The travelling support for United, they make more noise than any any other away support anyway. But they would be even noisier. They will see something positive if, if the younger players, they've seen some of the younger players already, they know that those players are given 100%. Yes, they're going to make mistakes. They saw that with Ryan Giggs as a 17-year-old making his debut against Everton. But the following season, my first season, wow, they saw a player. So I think it's a good time and what a lift that would be to everything below below the first team to know that this manager's coming in and being that he's from Ajax as well and it wouldn't surprise anybody that he played he played young he played young players. I'm really sorry about that. House phone, that's a house phone. No one ever no one ever answers them anymore. And yet that one's ringing. It doesn't normally ring, so I can only apologise. <laughs> Um, very quickly, just a couple of comments in. Phil, just complete and utter lack of confidence and belief, playing with fear. As Gary Neville said, it's actually detrimental to the player, placing unrealistic expectations on players of limited ability. And Rory uh, makes a comment. Morning, guys. If, I think if no midfielder comes in, then Martinez could end up being that defensive midfielder. He seems to have more about him than McTominay anyway. And that's a good point, isn't it? Because Martinez gets Well, you could, you could see... You could see with Martinez that sometimes he went and stepped in there and you could see how confident he was. And you know as well that he's always looking for that forward pass. His first thought isn't sideways or backwards. Everything is he gets the ball at his feet and his body is shaped to go forward and actually move the ball off the spot and, and, and run with it as well to create something just by moving the ball around rather than stopping still flicking it on the outside one way, rolling your foot over it the other way, and then passing it backwards. You know, and again, people, some people come out and say, oh, I'm persecuting Scott McTominay, but I'm just saying, the lad isn't good enough to be playing in, regularly in a Manchester United midfield, a team that wants to compete for finishing the top four, because I'm that's sad saying that, but that's what it is, competing, yeah. competing to try and finish in the top four, hoping that they can get into you know, win the Europa League or maybe finish in the top six to go at Europa League again, you, it's not going to happen. It is not going to happen at Manchester United with Scott McTominay in that midfield, being out of the club is. If the club was to transform itself into a proper football club from top to bottom, then maybe Scott McTominay could play in a team with unbelievable top, you know, top level Premier League players around him and maybe world class players. But given what everything there at the moment, United cannot compete 
to achieve with him playing regularly in their midfield. It's it's near impossibility. Yeah. Um, just before we clock off for the show, um, just got to notice that Sachin has been very busy in the um, comments saying we can sit and chat about what's wrong and what's right with the club. Lol, as if anything's going to change that and, and some other less kind comments and, you know, the Glazers have run now club, the only way is through their pockets and other stuff like that. We're not ignoring the comments, Sachin. It's, we're having the conversation because that's what we do every single Monday. Um, <laughs> we're not saying that we're going to make the change, but, you know, talking about the need for it um, and hopefully that those who are in an influential power like the 1958, like MUST, they're going to action some of that change as well. And we're here to discuss that like we do every single month. Don't misunderstand what we're about. Um, and thank you for your comments. Really appreciate your participation participation in the show. Um, well, that's it for this week, guys. Uh, we will be back next week to talk about that game against Brentford. Hopefully, we'll be talking about the influence of a couple of new signings. And hopefully, we'll be talking about a much more positive result and performance than what we saw against Brighton. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please give it a like and subscribe on YouTube and comment if you're watching the replays or if do still reply to those. And um, if you're listening on the audio podcast, please be sure to give us a review on the platform you're listening on. Really appreciate all the support. Um, last week, obviously, we had a great season last season in terms of popularity for the podcast. It was great. Um, to see everyone engaging as well as they have been and you know and it's fantastic to see the same last week as well so really appreciate that um we will be back next week to talk about united's trip to brentford thanks for listening thanks for watching and take care the talk sport fan network is proudly teaming up with free for mental health awareness week this year as football fans we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.